If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. This is Dr. Erica here. I'm bringing my over 20 years of experience as a Harvard double board certified psychiatrist directly to you for this podcast. And this is a special Olympic episode. In this episode, we're going to feature Dr. Radhi Ferguson. He brings a unique perspective as a 2004 Olympian, author, speaker, coach, and former mixed martial arts professional fighter. You don't want to miss a single moment of this episode because you're going to hear insight on big news items from the Olympics from an actual Olympian, along with the ways that mindset of an elite athlete can inspire you to have better mental health. So you might be wondering, what are we going to talk along the way of this conversation? Well, let me tell you, we're going to be talking about qualities that transition into regular life from being an elite athlete, mental toughness versus mental health. We're also going to look at an Olympian's view of recent mental health discussions in elite athletics and the Olympics, including Naomi Osaka, Shakari Richardson, and Simone Biles. We're going to talk about resilience, along with the merging of the pandemic, racial injustice, the recent insurrection and trauma on current events with the Olympics and athletes. And we'll also talk about how that impacts you. So stay tuned and let's get to the show. Hey, 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 it's Dr. Erica here and welcome to another episode of Better with Dr. Erica and I'm bringing my over 20 years of experience as a double board certified psychiatrist just to you in this podcast. So guess what today? I know I always say my guests are special, but this one is really special. You're going to totally enjoy it and I know you're going to want to hear this entire conversation. So you might be like, Dr. Erica, who do you have? Well, rather than hold a lot of suspense, I'm going to go ahead and tell you who is hanging out with us today on this podcast. So today we have Dr. Roddy Ferguson. I always feel like I need to say it like big, like he has such a big personality. I feel like I just have to, you know, I can't just say his name. It's got to be like an event. He is not only a 2004 Olympian, author, speaker, former mixed martial arts professional fighter, and award-winning judo coach. Did you hear he has doctor in his name? So he has a whole bunch of education along with all of this stuff. Now, as I have said before, my ministry is not giving everyone's intros. 
So I know he can probably tell you some things that I'm not going to be as great at. So let me go ahead and do that. Hey, Roddy, can you tell the folks about yourself? Anyway, first and foremost, man, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. We've been hit and miss for a little bit. Um, I went to the Olympics in 2004, but I also went to Howard University. I got my Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering in uh, 1997. Then I went back and got a Master's of Arts in Teaching. And I went to Capella University and finished my PhD in Education with a concentration in the psychomotor domain, uh, which means I'm concentrated on education as it pertains to human movement. And I um, served as an adjunct professor at the University of Tampa and the University of Central Florida, where I taught exercise science, kinesiology, and nutrition. Uh, I run a, a dojo, uh, martial arts facility in Tampa, Florida. And I also run a health and wellness company called Switch On Coaching with my friend, Co- Coach Arlo Henderson. So that's just kind of my background. I also have two children, two lovely children. I have a son uh, by the name of Rufus, who is 15. And I have a daughter by the name of Radhi, uh, who is 11. Can I just say, number one, I wish you all could see how he, his whole demeanor changed when he started talking about his children. Like this huge smile lit up the room. And so I just wish you all could see it. But the other thing is, every time I hear Dojo, I don't know why. I think about the Karate Kid. <laughs> it's, a, it's a popular movie. And, and I, I know your life isn't simply the Karate Kid, but I don't know why my mind, and it's old school Karate Kid, not Will and Jaden Smith Karate Kid. Uh, old old school. About Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi Karate Kid. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so... To let the people get to know you just a little bit better, I have a few this or that questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. Burgers or kale? Kale. <laughs> I'm on a roll. I've had a couple of kales. Yes, I love kale. Um, beach or mountains? Mountains. Oh, interesting. Especially since you're in Florida, I will take that. Marvel or DC? DC. Oh, I think I need a little explanation on this one. And the only reason why is because I am a huge, huge Superman fan. Okay. Huge. Like huge Superman fan. Okay. I'll let you have that. But I do watch more Marvel now, but I'm a huge Superman fan. Well, I didn't know if you're going to just break out with like Black Lightning is my jam. I've been watching Black Lightning. I'm really, I really like Superman, Superman and Batman. Those, those are my two favorites. <laughs> and the last one, Mac or PC? Mac now. I felt like that was about to be a moment of silence. Yeah, it was. It was tough, man. It was tough. But I, I got to go with Mac. I every time I want to, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm in the movie. Uh, what is it? Scarface. Like every time I want to get out, they keep they just keep sucking me back in. They just pull um, you back. You yeah, you want you want to get out of the, the Mac game and the Apple game, but you can't. They they make it so <laughs> they make it so user friendly, you just can't get out. Yeah, it kinda happens and I won't lie, I'm actually dealing with the pain of I traveled and I actually left the laptop I use the most at home. Hmm. So I'm on my old MacBook, which is all a first world problem. I mean, it's not, not like I left, came out of town and didn't have a computer. I still have one, just not the one I wanted. 
Right. And, and you got two laptops. I mean, I got, I got, I have three laptops around here and, I, and the other two I just don't really use, but I don't want to get rid of them just in case I need them. Yes. And my other one has the big screen. So it's like, oh, I'll get over it. So I, I want to ask, I was thinking this the other day and pardon me, I realize this question is going to be random. So you know how they say like Grammy award winner and they'll say like um, Academy award winner as an Olympian. Is it just like Olympian? Is that always like present tense or is someone a former Olympian? How is is it just always present? I I just wanted to know. When it comes to Olympian, never former, never past. Okay. Once you're an Olympian, you're always an Olympian. So to designate the Olympian that you are, they use the year. So you say 2004 Olympian Roddy Ferguson, but it's never a former Olympian. Once you got it, you, you keep it for life. Sweet. Now, do you still have like your, like they always have like the super cool like sweatsuits and stuff. Do you still have yours? I have some of them. Some of them I gave away. When I, um, after I got back from Athens, I gave half of my stuff, half of my clothes and stuff mm-hmm. to the person who I beat at the trials, a guy by the name of Mike Barnes. Okay. Because he helped me so much become a better judoka, become a better competitor, to stay, to stay sharp. And we competed against each other. And my heart really went out to him because he was really, really good. As a matter of fact, I was hurt. And he qualified wow. the weight class. Like, we don't go to the Olympics unless he qualifies the weight class. So he competed and he qualified the weight class when I was hurt. But I beat him at the trials. Oh. And, I mean, my heart went out to him. I mean, I, I wanted to go. I ended up going. I thank God for going. But when I came back, I gave him half of my stuff. Oh, that that feels like the agony of defeat in those old ABC sports. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just... I just saw a moment that made me cry today. Um, two of the high jumpers at the Olympics, they both had the same qualifying height. Yes. And then they had the option to jump off. And they said they didn't want to jump off with each other. They said, can we get two gold medals? And the the official said, uh, the official said yes, that's possible. And they both got gold medals in the high jump. And they were running around. They were crying. It was, it was so emotional to watch. The Olympics, was, yeah, the Olympics is such a special time in life. It was totally adorable. And then on top of that, the Italian dude was a whole bunch taller than the guy from Qatar, but he's jumping in the guy from Qatar's arm. Yeah, it was the up, most adorable up, thing. Yes, and, cool. and and then when the other gentleman from Italy, um, Lamont, Something, 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 something. One, it was cute because the high jumper came out and gave him a big hug because I guess the events weren't that far um, in difference in time. And I wouldn't know any of these things if I wasn't actually traveling and in a hotel with regular TV now. Right. Now I can get my Olympics on now that I'm in a hotel. Who knew? I, I don't, I have to, you and I are in the same WhatsApp group with each other. And if I, if, I get my Olympic updates from that. Other than that, I, I can't sit around and watch TV during the day. I mean, I I literally have I have stuff to do. I can't I can't watch it like that. Well, I, I guess the the upside about all the time differences, I feel like they cut this stuff together for prime time, so that you can kind of tune in for just the prime time coverage. But 
it's easy to end up just totally sleep deprived from watching the Olympics. And I, I think I kind of forgot what it was like because we hadn't had them in a while. And I did that. In the beginning. The first week. Yeah, in the first week I did that. Yeah. Did that. The judo was going on the first week, so I was watching judo and I was up late. And then I got up and at five o'clock in the morning to watch the finals. And judo didn't start till 10. And the prelims went from 10 to 2. And then oh, the wow. finals started at 5. And I was up in the morning all week. I mean, I was talking to my friend, um, Terrence Jamel. Um, Terrence Jamel is a two-time Olympic silver medalist in hurdles. Mm-hmm. And track started as soon as judo ended. And I told him, I said, hey, bro, it's your turn to be up all night. He said, I'm going to be up all night watching. I said, yeah, not me. I can't do it. Well, it's it's all amazing because I remember the summer of 1996. It was the summer after my first year of med school. And I took a job um, with the Olympics working the track venues as a bus captain. And I remember, remember my mother was like, can you take a job that actually pays real money? <laughs> and I was like, but this anyway, is so fun. Any way that you can be involved in the Olympic movement, you want to get involved. It is actually, it's, it's spectacular. I, I, you can't even, people can't even fathom how amazing the Olympic experience is. If you can get in on any part of that experience, you need to get in on it. Well, and it was great because I ended up with a really good story. That's how I met Otto Bolden was he actually missed the bus to go to a prelim. So I had to arrange alternative transportation. Yeah, because he can't miss the race. No. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where we got him got him there. He ended up getting a bronze medal. And then um, as young people did when we were all that age, we went to we went to IHOP after he won his medal, <laughs> right? Because he wouldn't have gotten his medal had I not found him some other transportation. But right. it was just a wonderful experience, and that leads me to my next question. I feel like it's brown sugar, and you know how they go. Like, how did you how did you fall in love with hip hop? What's the story of how you fell in love with judo? Man, I. I started in an after-school program when I was six years old in Miami, Florida. And I did it from the age of six until 12. And then we moved out of Florida and then we moved up to Pennsylvania and then from Pennsylvania to Maryland. And then I graduated high school in Maryland and I ended up going to Howard. And I didn't do judo again until I graduated from Howard. Wow. I actually made the Olympic team. I graduated in 1997, and I went back into judo because I thought I was going to the NFL. That didn't happen. I had an offer to play in the CFL, but I also had an offer from Texas Instruments, and the offer from Texas Instruments at the time was $40,800 in 1997, and the offer to play in the CFL was twenty seven five Canadian dollars. Oh, you you were balling at TI. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's bad arithmetic where I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the job at TI, started training judo again. And, I mean, I started, you know, you graduated in, in May in 1997. I started judo like in August of 1997, and I was on the Olympic team in 2004. Oh, wow. It sounds like it was meant to be. Yeah, so, and it was good. It was, it was rough. Um, really used a lot of principles that I learned in engineering in terms of system dynamics and understanding 
exactly how a judo match is won, understanding the the givens that I brought to the situation, making some assumptions of how I could win and do well, and then and then you know taking a leap of faith based upon the assumptions that I made, just using the principles of engineering, really, to be honest with you. And when I figure out the gaps that I had, I, I tell my clients this. I say, wherever you are is you're here. And where you desire to go is you're there. And what's stopping you from getting from here to there is a, there's a gap. Sometimes it's a knowledge gap. Sometimes it's a human resource gap. Sometimes it's a financial gap. But whatever the gaps are between you here and there, you have to find a way to fill them and then find the people that can fill the void for them. And that was basically all that I did. That's it. And I love judo because I love the chess match of judo. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I like fighting. I mean, I like violence. That is. <laughs> well, I mean, I do. I like violence. Just, I, I, I enjoy violence. I'm in the violence business. I mean, that's it. I, I always remember a conversation we had earlier in the pandemic where you were talking about just really missing having physical contact with people, but not like touching and hugging. You missed, you missed yeah, fighting, contact, yeah. contact. Yeah, jujitsu and getting on the mat and trying to arm bar and choke people. You miss it. You miss it. If you, if you don't, if you're not somebody who fights and you don't understand it, but if you fight, man, you need to fight. You gotta, you gotta fight. You gotta spar. You gotta stay sharp. Well, it's a different type of energy. I, it I, is. I, I would, um, even though I'm I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm the person I'm in the blessed. crew. I'm, I'm both. I love to fight. <laughs> I, I'm the person in the crew that's known to have the fast 911 dial that I am not the one that you're going to depend on to be in <laughs> That is not my role in the crew. And I can only imagine, you know, just like people will use other types of physical activity to manage stress, manage all kinds of energy that it seems like there's a certain kind of energy management that happens when you fight. There is, there is. And you, and when you know how to fight and when you fought before and you've had your behind whooped enough, like I have, you're not quick to fight. Now people who are trained to fight are really, they want to deescalate everything. Mm -hmm. Like I've never been in a a street fight and I, I walk away. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to, that's not what I want to do. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Now, do you love judo as much now as you did back in 2004? Man, man, even more so. Even more so. Because I can I can I can see it differently as a coach, you know, like the mountain to the climber is clear from the plan. I can I can see more. I just can't do more. If I had the mind now back then, I man, I I believe I could be an Olympic gold medalist, but I I couldn't see everything that I can see now. This is unfortunate that when you get older and you slow down, you got you get better. You just mm-hmm. can't do better. Oh my God, this is a great conversation. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more conversation from my amazing guest and yours truly on Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for the better tip of the week. This week we are going to feature connection. So out of the better seven, this is support. And what I'm going to recommend for you to do is to call one person, audio or video, and tell them that you love them. Now, if you don't reach them, that doesn't count. A text message doesn't count. You have to actually talk to someone. So if you can do me a favor 
and call at least one person and tell them that you love them, I'm sure they'll say it back and that will help fill your love bucket. And that will help you stay connected during all of the drama and stress and chaos that is going on. Back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. So how does what you do, because you do so many things, you've you've got your fingers in a lot of different pots, um, just like almost everyone I know that went to HU does. Because <laughs> yeah, you got, listen, you got, you got income streams and you got income tributaries and you got the income rivers and you got the income ponds. And you still got to have an income faucet. You know what I'm saying? Because you got to, you got to, you got There has to be, as, as, as we say, has to, has to be some income coming in. <laughs> I am so not mad. How do you think, um, what ways do you feel like your experience in judo and being an elite athlete translates into some of the other things that you do? I have. The, I have the ability to suffer. I have the ability to to suffer long. I can deal with long suffering. I can, I can deal with it. Um, stuff that's bad for some people or really, really uncomfortable, I, I can bathe in it. You know, it, it, it doesn't bother me as bad. I mean, I, I've just been, I've been trained to understand before you can wear the championship ring, you got to wear the suffering and I'm just able to deal with the long, arduous processes and not really, not really get discouraged. I, I just know that's how it is. It's different when you when you're training for a season, or you, then if you're training for the Olympics, you're training for something for four years. I mean, that's a that's a long process. When you sit down and write down the macro cycle of your mm-hmm. training process, and you see the macro cycle of your training process written, then it starts with. You know, 1999, 2000, 2001, 2003, and then we're going to get you to peak for 2004. That's a long time. And most people, most people have a problem, you know, dieting for 90 days. So the one thing that I've learned is just how to be resilient, how to have perseverance, how to do the character weightlifting, how to do the tough, arduous task and just stand there and maintain when it gets tight. How do you feel like having that type of mental toughness has translated into your own personal mental health since there have been so many stories coming out of this particular Olympiad and even prior to it with Naomi Osaka when it comes to mental health of athletes? On a personal level, I just find myself to be just a lot more mentally tougher than what I call normies or people in the general population. Um, I don't hang around people in the general population too much. I hang around myself and kind of keep away from most people. I mean, some of that behavior uh, is off-putting and it upsets me. I talk to guys and, uh, you know, Navy SEALs and Special Forces guys are very, very similar. Um, I also come from the generation before Naomi Osaka and, just like the generation before me thought they were tougher than I am. I'm in the generation before her. And some of that stuff, it just comes off as a lack of toughness. Um, when you are a high level athlete, dealing with the pressure, talking to media, performing at a high level, 
those are all things that you're expected to do. Um, it seems like some of today's athletes kind of want to change what being a professional athlete means. And I guess that's cool because things change over time. Mm -hmm. Um, But they used to be, I I remember when I was coming up, my mom was like, Hey man, if it's not worth dying for, it ain't worth living for. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying that that approach is right. Cause we all learn over a period of time that some of the things we learned as kids need to be adjusted and changed in the future. But then there's some things that don't need to be. And what we deal with is argumentum ad populum, where the majority of people think a certain way and they believe their argument is correct, but the elite sit at the top. So there's less elite than there are normal people. So the normal people are going to agree. So it's going to be more of those people that agree than the people who don't agree. And what happens is the, 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 the normal people are going to, their, their roar is going to be louder than the elite, and they're just going to be silenced. So, yeah, some of the things that we saw in this Olympics, a lot of people agree with, but there's some people who don't agree with some of those things that happen. They just don't. We got to make space for both people. And and that also it reminds me somewhat of conversations we even have in medicine around kind of each generation feels like you you went through trial by fire. And there's this mixture of of wanting the generation behind you to be tough enough to uh, to endure what is effectively our race, which is Yeah, because with you all, the, the thing about it was is um the residency is different. Oh, it's it's very different now than it was when we trained, and I I think it's this trying to balance, um, wanting people to be in a healthy environment than we were in because, and I don't think it's a huge mystery, but I know people like you who have friends that are doctors, people that have friends that are doctors are more aware of what the average doctor has actually gone through because we don't talk about it everywhere because, quite frankly, the average person doesn't care. Because the thought is, just as probably happens even with athletes, is, and the perception is athletes have money, even though all of them do not, is that you make a good wage, you have a good job, so why are you complaining? <laughs> you know, we, we really don't care. We think you're taking all of our money, and actually, it's usually their insurance company. It's not even us. We're not getting the money. But people just don't care. And it's one of those spaces of of finding room for, as you were talking about, just the different narratives, because also mental health is a totally different conversation than it was even five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So the even the idea that it is such a cornerstone of health and wellness still feels relatively new, even though people in the field knew this was the case, just the conversations around it are are very new. And then we're in, we're in a very different space. And I know in, in our field, it's, you're hoping that people still are able to build up enough resilience to survive. Because unfortunately, the journey of a doctor is there's an element that's survival. <laughs> you know, are yes. you going to be able to survive enough to work and handle the fact that there's no way most people make it through their entire career and aren't in some type of hostile environment. 
it just it just is what it is. It, it's the nature of the beast. And just as a lot of attorneys will have that narrative, a lot of people in corporate America will have that narrative, is that there's this balance of trying to figure out where is the line between mental toughness and and that line when when the expectation is is that 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 line, Doc, is really clear. It's just not clear for general population. Mm-hmm. Because when it comes to Delta Force, Navy SEALs, infantry, and the people who have to save your life, that line becomes super, super clear. But in in civilian life, the line is blurred. But the line really isn't blurred. When you look at the pyramidic structure of excellence, there's a lot at the base and there's less at the top. Mm-hmm. And some people will fall out because of money. Some people will fall out because of injury. Some people will fall out because they can't handle the mental stress. Some people will fall out because they just lose. Everybody doesn't belong at the top. So when people tell me, well, it's a mental health surgery. For me, I can give a damn what it is. It, it, that person doesn't belong there. Now, if we change the rules, we can change the rules and get that person there. But that person just doesn't belong there. But if we change the rules, then the elite are no longer the elite. And we just have a bunch of normal people doing normal stuff. Now, I'm not saying, and I I have mental health is real. I'm not saying it's not real. What I'm saying is that there is going to be a, a point. If you and I are in the gym and you're squatting, there's a point where if I keep tacking on five pounds, 10 pounds, five pounds, it's going to come, become a point when you can no longer handle the weight. And sometimes that weight is a physical weight and sometimes that weight is a mental weight. When that weight, whatever that weight is, whatever your cap is, you're done lifting. Because if you get under that weight, you're going to get what? You're going to get crushed. So I agree with the, with Naomi saying, that's too much weight on the bar for me. I agree with Simone saying I have an issue and I feel that all this is too much weight on the bar for me because everybody doesn't need to get under that bar and lift that weight. But I'm not applauding people for not lifting. I know we disagree, Doc, but it's okay. Well, (laughs) and the thing is, is number one, there's there's room for a variety of perspectives. I I tell people that, yeah. There's a lot of space for it. And I do realize there there are things that people are going to have in different constructs depending on what their experience is. Because I realize I've never been an elite athlete. I I swam competitively. I was a decent swimmer. I was not the most naturally fast. And in some of the sports, no matter how great your form is, there's a certain amount of natural skill <laughs> or right. or just Genetics. natural talent that you have to be to be at a certain level. And then you work and get the rest of the skills. But it, there's a baseline level of, of natural talent you need. And I just didn't have it. The sport I probably did have it was softball. And, you know, when, I'll date myself. You know, we played before there was anywhere to go with it. It wasn't an Olympic sport or anything. So there was nothing mm. you could do. So I chose to be in the band. So all of that to say is that Dr. Wow. Erica is not an elite athlete. Um, just as someone that may have ideas of what physicians need to do and what we need to be doing, 
and what our lives are may not understand if they haven't walked that path. So, you know, I, I totally respect that. And I think part of it is too, is the culture in our country, which is starting to shift some is one of the things I advocate the most for is the fact that a lot of times people don't start dealing with their mental health until it's a crisis. I will tell you this. The one thing that I, I had a sports psych person, um, but I can tell you that the Olympic process has, I wouldn't say scarred as I would say imprinted um, on my thought processes. It's changed my conceptual framework. It changes how I, I see the world. Um, I learned at the time when I was competing, I thought I was learning emotional regulation. Because mm-hmm. you, you hear people say, man, he has ice in his veins when he's on the line shooting the free throws. And like you learn, you learn emotional regulation. And that's what you think you're learning at the time because you don't get, you don't, you don't let things rattle you. You kind of stay even kill. But you're not learning emotional regulation. You're learning emotional detachment. And unfortunately, that skill that you learn when the when the lights are off and the the, the, the crowd is gone and the career is done you bring that skill into the general population mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, I remember when I was, um, when I was married, my ex told me, she said, when her brother passed away, she said, I felt like I was, I was abandoned. I was all by myself. And I said, well, I can't get emotionally involved in that situation. I said, somebody got to hold the fort down. If both of us rolling around on the floor crying, well, what we can't get nothing done. Mm-hmm. So I can, I literally just, <laughs> I just shut myself off from that situation. Now, that's how I handled it. That's not how a lot of people handle it. Um, I was always taught that athletes do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Or, hey, man, doesn't matter how bad you feel. We need you, for you to push for this last sprint. And I know your legs and back are hurting, but you need to get up under there and, and knock this way. You just learn how to disassociate feelings from task. And when you hear people marriage feelings with task, when you come from my generation, mm-hmm. it's totally foreign as a concept. Now, I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm not even saying it's right. I'm saying that it it works in that environment and may be damaging in the future. Maybe. Yeah. And I think one of the huge things, and I think that's where there are starting to be some shifts because a huge portion previously of sports psychology and sports psychiatry, a lot of it was focused on performance. Um, and I, I think we're, we're starting to shift and, you know, some of it is the field shifting. Some of it is, is people changing with their own levels of awareness um, where you get to a point where you can potentially deal with the psychological things you need to do to be able to have high level or peak performance, but still take care of anything else that may be going on that can potentially be having a negative impact on your mental health and to be able to do those simultaneously. And I I think um, that's one of the things I think psychiatrists are really good at. Um, I've run into a, a few people that have seen, counselors and I've, I've seen some counselors that are phenomenal 
but it's being able to manage more than one thing at one time because even in regular world, sometimes people show up on your door and they need some help and they have one thing that, you know, something that's in crisis and some other thing they need to work on. And a lot of people feel like they'll feel better if you're able to kind of manage both simultaneously. And I feel like some of the shifts and some of the conversations that I believe are going to come out of the conversations that have been having around Naomi Osaka Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, and Shakari Richardson are conversations that may lead people to start thinking proactively about their mental health early so that hopefully we don't get to the point where... I, I, I can see that. I can see that as being a positive shift for, for society, for sure. For sure. It becomes problematic when people believe that you can run this parallel processing at the high level when you can't at the high level, the serial processing is not parallel. You don't have the bandwidth to process on a parallel level. If you do, you will get what it is that you saw from the situation with Simone Biles. Now, if you study and you understand the twisties or the choking mechanisms Mm -hmm. or what Daniel Kahneman talks about in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, like system one and system two mm-hmm. thinking, like when you are elite athlete, and this, this comes from the practice of deliberate practice. You go through deliberate practice and you do things slow and deliberate and you get them down. You get them down and it moves from a system two thinking of having to think about every move to a system one. It just becomes a regular, mm-hmm. just it's subconscious competence. I can get up there and just whop and I can do it. What happens is you begin to start when you go through this choking thing or the choices thing or you get disoriented because you're now thinking of the steps that you already know. And it happens because there's just certain things that the brain is a funny thing. Like you control it, but sometimes the brain does what it wants to do. If you don't think so, you you blink your eyes. Sometimes you, you, you're sitting down and, you, and your arm jumps and they, things happen. Um, and when you switch over from that system one to that system two thinking, there's nothing you can do. Like you're stuck. There's no, there's no speech that you can give Simone. There's no, like people think you you can't go up and slap her and, and, and shake her out of it. That's not how that thing works. I mean, once she has what she has, she's done. Here's the thing that happens in every sport. Every sport has their version of the twisted. Every every everybody has seen a a guy at the free throw line, or a person who was bowling, or a person who's doing a thing, and they say, "Well, this that that person choked, or that person couldn't couldn't perform. That person no longer was able to have that that positive neurophysical connection to make what they do normally happen." And when those people lose, they have to be accountable for what they do in the environment of play because there's a level of accountability mm-hmm. with with athletics and people who said and i'm going to call bs on people who said simone didn't owe us nothing no simone did owe and there's another reason why simone is getting her behind back out there because when you look at the commercials and you see simone with the visa commercial and you see the mcdonald's things and you see these people did not give simone that money for her not to compete 
That ain't how it works, big dog. You don't get the check and then you're like, you know what? I got, I'm not really feeling how I'm feeling right now. No. There's a lot of layers to that, to that thing. Mm-hmm. I'm all about her. I support her decision. I, I, I told somebody I would rather her make that decision than somebody laying some gold medal on her neck in a casket. Mm-hmm. That's foolishness. You know what I mean? There, there are things more important. However, that does not mean that you don't have to be accountable for that. And making her accountable for that is not beating her down. It's not talking bad about her. People watch the Olympics with expectation. You know, when she competed, she had the goat thing on her shoulder. She's walking around with a goat in the commercials. Like people watch the Olympics with the expectation of Simone. Mm-hmm. When those people's expectations weren't met, they were angry and they were upset. And that's that's that is normal behavior for people. That's normal behavior. When you are an athlete, you're gonna get booed sometimes and from the crowd. People are gonna talk mess about what you do. That's that's part of being a that's part of being a, a world class athlete. It happens. It's a huge amount of pressure pressure. I am so glad that she decided to get back out there and to compete. I pray and I hope that she does well because the last thing that I want for someone who has who is that decorated in in sport is for five, 10 years, 20 years down the line to come up and we don't talk about anything except for mm-hmm. the time she didn't compete at the Olympics because that is what was going to happen. If, if you all could see us, we're like nodding heads and you can't. You can't hear it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I I think you bring out some some really, really good points. And in, in the fact that all of these systems have have their own culture to them. Um, and and with any action, we all have some level of, of accountability for whatever we choose to do or choose not to do. Because every single thing we we do or don't do is technically a choice. Correct. Um, now, what the motivation behind the choice? You know, there there are things that the motivation seems like that was really important, <laughs> and there are times where the motivation is low. You know, it's like I decided to get some Twizzlers the other day. I didn't need those Twizzlers, but the world's not going to end because I bought Twizzlers and and was tired and bought my whole dinner out of Walgreens. Yes, right. I did it. I tell you, for the people, for the people who are listening, and it, it was such a polarizing issue in social media and in personal conversation. But you have to give space to think about the whole thing critically. Out of all the athletes that were on the track of the Olympic Games, out of from the divers. Mm-hmm to the gymnast, to the artistic gymnast, and the rhythmic gymnast. Do you, a critical question for the listener is, do you think that Simone Biles was the only person dealing with the twisties? Out of all those people there. And when you ask yourself that question critically, you, you have to say, no, she probably, they probably wasn't. And then somebody says, well, she could have died. I say, yeah, listen. We can't choose to bring a 
a causative thing like if you choose to compete with the choices, you are going to die. Do some people die from gymnastics? Yeah, man. Some people die doing gymnastics. Some people die doing judo. Some people die from diving. Some people die from... The reason why we watch the Olympics is because we watch the Olympics because we don't want to see normal people do ordinary shit. That nobody's watching that. Once you do, once you have behavior that normal people have, there's no sense in watching. Like you live on Mount Olympus, you're called an Olympian because you're supposed to have godlike behavior. And if you don't have godlike behavior, you're like some other normal person. What are we watching for? Like when people say, "Well, she's a human being," well, they we now we don't turn on the Olympics to watch human beings. We turn on the Olympics to watch superhumans. Because if we wanted to watch human beings, we just go out to the park and and film each other running, put that on NBC. That's not what people want to see. Now. I will say it over and over again. I agree with Simone not competing. If she felt like she could not compete, I think that it's it's a great starting point for young athletes to have mental health discussions. I think it's a great starting point for um, dojos, for um, for gymnasts, for for gym schools, for for gyms that do Olympic weightlifting, for a lot of competitive um, track and field clubs to start bringing in a mental health professional to speak to the kids once a quarter, come through January through March, come again through. I think that if, if we can nudge in, the, in that direction, I think all of those things are positive. And I think those things should be done. Conversely, I also, as a coach in that space, want to, Caution parents and children, man, there's a time where you need to quit. It's called stop loss in business. Mm -hmm. And there's also a time when we need to teach about not quitting and we need to teach perseverance. Every mental, every mental, mentally stressful and, and situation that provides duress is not mental health. And a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old cannot differentiate the two. And that's the space that we're in because this is the Olympic Games and everything that happens in the Olympics flows down to everybody else. We have rules in our sport, too, that are made for the safety of children. Mm -hmm. So there are certain moves that they don't allow us to do and they penalize us for because they don't want children who are watching to do them. This happens. So what you see with Simone Biles they're not purposely picking on Simone Biles because she's a black female. What what gymnastics has to do as a whole is they have to ask themselves, should we allow this technique to be like this or should we make it as hard as possible so people don't chase after it? Because in the, in the process of what we call the acquisition of expertise to do this move, the likelihood of more people getting hurt is higher. So they do it. They, they try to discourage people from doing it so they do, that, they don't, that, that they don't do it. Now, do I think they should penalize Simone Biles point-wise with that? No, I don't. But they want to discourage. And let me tell you something. 
their 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 goal and objective was accomplished. You didn't see the routine on television. This conversation is nothing without you. So stay right there and we will be right back after a message from our sponsors. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Um, again, audience, we are making faces that you can't see. There's a lot more to this Olympic thing, man, than just than, than just the stress and the rest. There's, there's money, and then there's money, and then there's money. <laughs> well, and I, I remember talking to some athletes, and the thing is, is it's there's a small group of people that actually are making money. Making money, right. But but the average person is like, remember when Home Depot used to do the Olympian commercial, the Olympic commercials? I used to go to Home Depot for that reason. Yeah, it, it would be like everybody working at Home Depot. You know, folks literally doing everything they could. This is for anyone that happens to be younger, even though that is not my average demographic before GoFundMes, is folks were just hustling you know, even at McDonald's doing whatever they could to pay their bills and to somehow get whatever they needed to be able to be able to compete. And, and I was working know. at Home Depot. I made $8,000 working at Home Depot. I was working at, in the kitchen at the Olympic Training Center and I had an American Express bill of $52,000. I'm so glad you have all this education and coaching. So hopefully you do not still have that same Amex oh, bill no, no, no. That, of $50,000. That, <laughs> <laughs> School loans are all paid for. Thank the thank the Lord. House is paid off. Praise God. We, we, we thank you. Everything. I, I mean, it's it's a different situation now, but man, it was bad, man. When I mean it was bad, it was bad. It was bad. Yeah. Like, I think as people that are are watching, that there there are different perspectives than people that are doing. And, um, you know, I think there's there's space for a lot of conversation around around mental health. Um, there's also space for trying to find ways to, you know, the whole world wants to see all of these athletes do these phenomenal things. Phenomenal things. And, and I think there's there also continues to be space for people to problem solve on ways to, number one, support athletes so it's not necessarily the biggest sacrifice on the planet to make it here, you know, because the average person that goes to the Olympics isn't going to get a medal. No, no, no. Not you less, know, than, less than average. It, it, this, you know, all those people, this, I tell people, more people lose, leave as losers than winners. Right. And, and I think sometimes it's looking at the ways we can support people to be healthy, as healthy as possible on these journeys to do these things that everybody wants to watch them do. Because yeah. it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, everyone's sitting watching their TV like, yay, look at them. And someone may have like a, depending on if the news thought they were interesting enough, they may have a little 60 second, two minute package. And, and, and that was that. 
<laughs> and, and and you don't really see everything that was running in the background all of all of all of the losses all of the money all of the injuries how much time was spent in ice baths you know surgeries failed relationships you just failed relationships cheese on bread failed relationships falling out with people it's it's really something man it's it's more to it than people know man i i um Case in point, let's say. So, <sighs> Shakari Richardson, okay? Mm-hmm. I watched the whole thing go down on social media. I couldn't believe how it became a, it became a gender issue. It became a race issue. It became a, it, it was, it became a, this huge issue, um, I talked to the Olympians that, that I know. I was like, one of my friends, I was like, dog, you do know how many times they meet with us and give us the banned substance list. He said, yeah, dog, this is, this is crazy. Like, they literally, they say, Erica, Dr. Erica, the, the amount of times that they give you a list and sit down and talk and then the people come to your room and then they give you, like, it ain't no surprise what's on the band list and whatever. It, it's not an issue of it shouldn't be on the list mm-hmm. or it's it's okay in these places. It, there's a track full of people at the Olympic trials that all followed the rules. There is a track full of people. There's 100 meter runners, 200 meter runners, eight, 400. 800, 1500, 3000, 5000, 10,000. Man, that, listen, there's marathon, they, 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 shot put, discus, like this. Everybody at the trials, man, knows the rules. And she violates the rules, and all of a sudden, it's a, it's a, they're attacking black women and they're attacking Chicago. And our mama died. Let me tell you something. I will say it again. Everybody out there has a story. Somebody else's mama died. Somebody else's dad died. Somebody's brother died. Somebody got cancer. Somebody's homeless. Somebody, like everybody on that track has a story. Trust me when I tell you, you don't know people's story and you don't hear about the story because sometimes they get seventh place or they don't make the finals. You never hear that story. But here's the deal. It's not about whether you thought it was right or not right. It's about this. They say, Dr. Erica, here's the deal. Um, graduation is coming up for you to get your medical degree. There's 10 things that we need you not to do. All right, we've given these same 10 things to everybody else. Number two on the list is you can't eat no peanut M&Ms at night, okay, after 10 o'clock. And you say, you know what? The hell with it. At 10, 15, I was having a bad day. My boyfriend broke over, my dog died. I, I came home on my bike. I hit a flat tire. And I said, the hell with it. I laid down at 10, 16, and I said, I'm going to have three peanut M&Ms. This sounds like a gremlin list. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had a three peanut M&Ms. And then they said, you know what? You can't graduate. He said, well, I done did all this work. And, I, you know, I was having a bad, yeah, that. Let's say, Erica, everybody else here followed the list, honey. And and that's all it is. It's, 
it's a when you're in grad school, you find you really realize that man, you don't learn, you don't use all that stuff that you learn in school. They just need to find out how much shit you can put up with. Because we need the people that have a, a, a workable level of resolve and perseverance for, for our field. So the rules don't always make sense. Nor do they have to make sense. They just have to be followed. We're not at each other again. He's, he's making faces again. Um, and before we, uh, I'm going to try not to take us down a rabbit hole. Well, I think I think it's it's, they don't belong in there. Well, I think part of it too is the country was, and you know, the majority of my listeners are in the United States. Is this country was primed for all of these things to become these huge issues because people are already stressed to death about this pandemic that makes no logical sense. We've had so much racial injustice. We had the insurrection. People's trauma has been reactivated over and over again. So I think a lot of sensitivity people have to a lot of these issues has, has, has gotten wrapped up and has expanded these issues, um, especially with regards to race, gender, and sexual orientation, that those are, are real hot buttons. And, and not saying that it's there's not a reason they are, because this country could be super messed up. That, that just is what it is. Um, but I, I think all of that has rolled together into a lot of these narratives because people were already on edge. So it's like we room for everybody black which means we yelling at everything that happens. You know, I I think it was just prime because there were so many things going on that that's naturally the lens that a lot of people are going to come at these issues from because of, of what the current lived experience is. You're not wrong. Especially coming off of the Gwen Berry situation on the, on the uh, metal stand. Like I, Grimbeck, when you get on the metal stand, guess what you could do? You could do whatever you want to do because you're on the metal stand. It's my metal. The spot that the spot that the spot that I'm standing in is one that I earn. Same thing when people say Simone Biles took somebody else's spot. No, she didn't. No, she did not. That was Simone's Biles mm-hmm. spot. And she can do with it whatever she chooses. She has the spot. She can choose. I don't want to compete at the Olympics. Or she can take the spot. She's like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'll go out here and compete. But that's her spot. That's Winberry's spot. If Winberry don't want to salute the flag, that's her business. We actually have a thing called freedom of speech. What I found out from some people especially some white folks on social media, is you can be free to speak as long as you say what they want you to you say what they want what, no you say what they want yep. you to say. If you don't say what they want you to say, then you can't speak freely. They say, well that's the wrong time to protest. I said, well man, man, when is the right time to protest? Because the reason why you want to protest is because you want to be seen. I, I ain't gonna do me no damn good to protest in my bedroom. I go in my bedroom and protest as much as I want. Ain't nobody there. 
Well, and and that gets into this whole other rabbit hole issue of how people have wrapped up the flag and oh my gosh, the Star Spangled Banner Man, with uh, being, being an American. <laughs> if you don't stand up for the, you don't love this country. I I would I say, man, y'all have a hard time going to a black college football game because when the when the national anthem going on, everybody's damn near talking, you know, just looking around and just waiting for a lift every voice and sing to come on. I can't even hardly think of what happens because I went to Spelman and um, Morehouse had a football team, but only one year I was there was it even decent. So people literally just went for the band and right. didn't pay attention to anything related to the game. And our homecoming just happens to have a football game. Nobody hardly knows who they're playing. A lot of people cool. never touch foot on even the outside of the stadium. It's not even about the game. It's not about the game. It's home. It's Spellhouse homecoming. It's how we roll. That's it. That man, Howard homecoming. At Howard homecoming, everybody's at the tailgate during the game. They're not in the game. They're at the tailgate before the game, during the game, and then after the game. And then the football players finish playing the game and then head down to the tailgate. Well, it's, and I don't even know where our tailgates are segregated when it comes to like people that are seasoned and young people. So I I couldn't even tell you because they move so many things around where the young people actually go in homecoming because I don't see them. We. we they have this area where it's it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of separated, you know. It's kind of separated, and they have these like not parcels, but I don't know. It's not. I don't be around the young people, but I see them. You know, I see them, but I don't be around them. You know what I I'm saying? I feel like I, they're with ours. They're closer to campus, and then like they're on campus or right at campus, and. The rest of the tailgate is a little bit. Um, no, we are, they're in the same place, but most of the young people are in the game. They're inside the game. They're inside the game partying with the band. The older folks, I didn't grab, they're down there eating and and drinking water, water, drinking water. Yeah, water, lots water. of water. Lots of water. Out of red solo cups. Thank you. <laughs> I got me some red solo cups right in my cupboard right there. Hey, that that that's how we roll. And I think everyone is still kind of reeling because I know with us, last week an email came out, announcement came out that Morehouse's homecoming is in October and it's coming. And we're all looking like, y'all going to have to cancel this with this Delta variant um, that you, we need to just look forward to homecoming 2022. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> COVID, COVID, man, I, I, that's all I can say is COVID. I was ordering masks and scrubs tonight. That was my adventure. COVID that was my gift to myself for my birthday was scrubs, goggles, and masks. So I will say this, going back to the athletes and the Olympics, and I was talking to my mom last week, and she said, these athletes are dealing with something that you never dealt with. I said, what are you talking about that I ain't never dealt with? She said, you never competed during no pandemic? 
She said, this is a situation. She said, could you imagine being as stressed as you were for the Olympics and then having to train through a pandemic? She said, that was rough. She said, that amount of stress is something that the country has never seen. She said, we haven't seen that since the early 1900s. She said, all of us on this, on, on this planet have not been through this situation before. She said, this was stressful. She said, and then to, to, to go through that whole thing, and she said it, I don't, I don't know what your demographic is that listens, to go through the whole thing with the stress of that Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. Like, man, as I can tell you right now, man, I don't know. My I, demographic I, isn't fans. Listen, I can't tell you. I don't know what the hell Biden doing and what he ain't doing. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I don't wake up in the morning with, you, there was, I, man, people don't realize this. There was like real physical, like an emotional stress you had every day with Trump in office as a black person. It, that that was it, bad. Like it was like it was. you could like, you could feel the like the knot inside your chest. You know, it's like what is he gonna say today? What is he gonna do today? Well, and I it, think it was, that's what's what we're dealing with is everything is so cumulative. You can't necessarily peel one thing off, and I think people are really getting to this point where they're starting to break because it's just been too much. Too much, right? We said at the same time, it's just been too much. It's been too much. Just like those memes, it's like just too much. Just too much. And one thing I do like to say though is, um, if you know Japanese culture and you know how the Asian culture is, they're very subtle with their messaging. You see what they did in the opening ceremonies? They had Japanese Africans holding the flag. They had Japanese Africans lighting the torch. They put black folks in Japan in pole positions up front for the world to see. And listen, Black folks in Japan are not just a minority; they're a super minority. Mm-hmm. They're like it's like running around looking for some unicorns, finding some some black Japanese folks. They put those people at the forefront during the Olympics, and that was a not necessarily a knock towards the United States, but that was letting them know you need to find a way to appreciate those people who aren't like you. It was something to, to watch it. Did you see it? Um, I, I, I saw bits and pieces of it. Um, it was, I kept meaning to go back and watch the whole thing on YouTube because the, the parts I saw were gorgeous. That was the first time I watched opening ceremonies in like 16 years. I, I haven't I've never been able to watch it. Too traumatic. Hmm. Too traumatic. Well, let me say this. I was looking on my phone when we were talking. I fe- I don't know what the guy's name. I think it's Dol Dostovsky or whatever it is. He has a quote that one of my frat brothers sent me today that said, tolerance will reach such a level that intelligent people will be will be banned from thinking so as not to offend the imbeciles. Um, yeah. Mm. Um, and listen, mm. and that goes back to my discussion about the elite as we close this evening. There, I feel like we can we can mic drop on that. There it is. But 
I still have speed round questions, so you, All right. you, well, you aren't off the hook. Let's speed round the questions. Let's do speed round yeah. questions. Yeah, you're not off the hook, but these are easy. The first one is, what is the best lesson you learned from your mom? How to pray. Mm. Oh, I love that one. I haven't gotten that as an answer yet. I love that one. The next one is, what's one piece of advice that you would like to give your younger self? Don't marry her. Oh, Lord Jesus. I, I feel like no, I, ha, I have gotten I have gotten that one before. <laughs> I have gotten that one. Um, we're just gonna let that do what it do. Just do what it do. Let that don't even let it, let, let, it burn. let it marinate. No, let it burn up. Go ahead. The next one is what is a favorite gift to yourself? A nap. Hey, hey, ain't it something when you get over 40, you be like, you be like a nap. You're like, a nap. A nap be like a diamond ring. A nap. Yeah. I know. I was I was scheming on one today. Like, yeah, listen, I, for those, I accidentally got one during Netflix. Hey, listen, for those people who are single who are listening, if you want to, if you want to go, if you want to, you want to be real romantic, you walk up to the young lady and say, you know what? I just think we could just go out and hang out and then come back and take a nap. Ooh. Listen, you might be all right because ain't nobody offering no naps. <laughs> That, that that's that new new. That's that new game. We have to get the nap. Get, we can go take a nap, especially if you're over forty. This want to take a nap. Yeah, and if and and the, the cool thing is if someone's taking to a new another level, they be like, I got these special pajamas for you. I'm a lady slippers out for you. Boom, a nap. And some we got some lavender essential oil. Everything going on. Everything going on. We listen. We over. I, I'm not going to touch you. I just want. I really. I do want a nap. I'm going to be honest. With you. <laughs> I, I want a nap. Lord I know. Knows. What's oh, the next one? That was priceless. That I think that one made my day. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just keep chuckling thinking about that one. Um, you have a day off. What are you looking forward to doing? Exercising. Oh, I love it. I need you to possess me. <laughs> you, want, you want a nap, huh? <laughs> I, I, I need to get my exercise life back. A nap, a nap and some snacks, huh? You seem like you like a nap and snacks. Um, I used to not be into naps and snacks. Until the, um, until, until the uh until the COVID. COVID. Let's put it all on COVID. Well, well the problem was is the beginning of COVID, I was a beast. I lost like twenty pounds. I was use Miss Peloton. And then something happened. I think I went back in the office. I actually did better when I was away when I was working from home full time. And I found every pound I lost. I found them all like it was a scavenger hunt. Like it was Easter. And I had had an Easter egg hunt. I had all the eggs. I found them all. It is what it is. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, what is one thing that you do when someone disrespects you or underestimates you? Nothing. It don't bother me at all. Oh, I love it. It doesn't bother me at all. And the last one. That don't have nothing to do with me. That don't have nothing to do with me. That's with them. I'm, I'm good. I ain't mad. Yeah. I'm 
And the last one is what is your superpower? Manipulation. Ooh, that just sounds so, um, I'm trying to think of the word for it. Diabolical. <laughs> that was a shoulder shrug. You guys couldn't hear. <laughs> I got it. Like in my, my profession requires me to be a master manipulator, but people, that doesn't mean it's in the negative. I'll accept that. It's yeah. just the way you said it, though. It's still yes. the way it came out sounded diabolical. If you guys could see her face right now, the way she did her hands, it was horrible. <laughs> hey, I know I'm not cool. I'm okay well, with well, the fact that I'm not the coolest person. You are better than cool. You hear what I'm telling you? You are better than cool. I do what I can. So do you have any final thoughts or takeaways for the peeps? I, w- I will say this. The people at the top in their various pro- pro- professions aren't supposed to be like the people at the bottom. And uh, usually the issue of the, of the problem is that the people at the bottom have a a bottom type of lens and they look at them through a different lens than the people at the top look at the people at the top. And then there's this. The people on the right side of the bell curve who are talented and gifted are no different than the people on the left side of the bell curve who need some help in some in some areas. And the more you go to the left side of the bell curve, the more you need help inside of a van and the more you need to be rolled into places. And the more you go to the right side of the bell, bell curve, the more you, move, you the more you move yourself into the domain of what we call the savants. And the unfortunate part of things, and this is what people don't want to realize, is you don't get the genius of R. Kelly without getting the other stuff that comes with R. Kelly. You don't get the you don't get the genius of some of the actors and actresses without the things that come with them. And we like to look past all those other things, but you can't you can't have all those other other you can't have those great things without having the other things that come with them because there's a reason why they are they're on the right of the bell curve like that, because they're really, really, really good at stuff. And they're really, really, really bad at stuff too. Like Michael Jordan is who he is. When people finally saw the guy he was in the last dance, they're like, this guy's an asshole. Yeah, but that guy's a winner. And for him to win the way that he did required for him to do like that. For Simone Biles to be as good as she is, she does have a IDGAF mechanism where she don't care what you think. She's just going to do what she wants to do and she's going to sit down. But you have to understand as a consumer that you don't get to choose that which you consume when you consume that stuff at the elite level that that that's just what it is you get all of it you get all of it you really mentioned r kelly you say said you really mentioned r kelly yeah i mentioned r kelly r kelly is my favorite musician of all time. Favorite. He's my favorite musician and he's a horrible person. <laughs> no, he's horrible. He's horrible. 
But the, 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 the music and the person are two different things. I hear you. So quick thing, where can the people find you? Man, the people can find me online. Um, but we're online. I'm going to tell you, you can go to www.switchoncoach.com and you can get my book, Enhance or Destroy, um, which is about a relationship. Enhance or Destroy, which is relationship lessons from elite athletes about how an elite athletes, they can enhance or destroy their relationships um, by dealing with the wrong people. You can find that at www.enhanceordestroy.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Roddy Ferguson uh, and on Twitter at Roddy, that's R-H-A-D-I, or on Instagram, R-H-A-D-I-F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N. Then I'm the one without the number two behind it. The number two behind it is my daughter. So it's Roddy Ferguson and <laughs> Roddy Ferguson too is little Roddy. That's not me. I, I love that you gave the clarification so people wouldn't be following your daughter looking for you. They the people do all <laughs> she has a four week message all the time. That is so cute. And and y'all, if you're driving or your hands are busy, don't worry about it. All these links are in the episode description. So with my wrap up, the first thing I have to say is Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life, Dr. Ferguson, to hang out with me and my peeps. I appreciate it. I feel like this is like, the for all of you out there, we're doing a late night taping when probably both of us would be asleep otherwise. I'm telling you, uh, we, 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 listen, we can't even tell you how tired we are. We, we, we're pushing through. <laughs> so I, I want to say thank you for for making that active choice and prioritizing this time with me and my people. Cause I know it's a choice. There are plenty of things you have to do and you chose to carve this bit of time out for us. So well, I want to say that. Like first. I felt like I can get better with Dr. Erica. <laughs> I love it. That's my goal. <laughs> Help people be better, do better and live better. We on it. We on it. Um, the next I have to say is thank you to all of you listeners for hanging in here spending this quality time with us, staying on the line till the very last moment. So thank you, because couldn't do this without you. My final thought is, is number one, is for us to continue to walk a walk of empathy and grace. That as we're seeing with a lot of these elite athletes and the stories and the narratives that are coming out around this period of the Olympics, is we're getting to see what happens when people start peeling back the layers and let you in a little bit behind the curtain. And um, as Roddy had mentioned earlier, and I've experienced it in my work too, is you'd be shocked to hear what people's actual actual stories are. You don't typically really hear the real story all the time. So you never quite know what's behind the curtain, what's behind all the shininess that you see. And I want to encourage all of you out there to be empathic because you don't know, you never quite know what's going on with anybody. You just don't know. Um, but I want you to have grace with others and with yourself because sometimes what's going on for you behind the curtain may not all be pretty either. So I want to remind everyone that those two principles can really get you far, especially when it comes with 
being able to maintain and sustain positive energy and to also be able to maintain, grow, and establish healthy relationships. Um, that there has to be some room to let all of us be human. That doesn't mean that it's okay to do whatever you do. I'm not a big fan of racism, sexism, assaults, all that kind of stuff. That that ain't okay. But I, I just want to encourage people to leave some space for humanity. And in the space for humanity, please take care of yourself. The Delta variant is a hot mess I don't want all of y'all out here dying from the COVID, or as my dad would call it, COVID, because you're tired of COVID, so you want to kick it. People have been kicking it everywhere. We saw Lollapalooza in Chicago. We saw Rolling Loud down in Miami. People are getting together like nothing is going on. And what we're seeing with this particular variant as it's impacting people that are vaccinated and unvaccinated. We have to wear these masks, continue to physical distance, wash our hands, and just use common sense that I'm not going to get on a, a high horse today about getting vaccinated. But at a bare minimum, there are a certain handful of things that all of us need to do regardless of our vaccination status. And it's time for us to get doing it because otherwise COVID's not tired. At this point, COVID is a freaking Olympic virus. COVID is elite. COVID is trying to get the ultimate gold medal lineup of viruses. Do you want COVID to get all the gold medals? Think about that. I just came up with that. That was kind of cool. <laughs> Got to... Give myself a pat on the back for that. Um, but it's up to us to not let COVID win, but we have to do our part. So I just want to encourage you because I want you to be able to listen to this podcast and not be dead. And with COVID, you might die. I don't want you to die. So um, just take some necessary action. I'm going to quit. I'm going to get off my COVID soapbox. I just felt in my spirit and in my soul, I needed to have a COVID moment. Beyond that, I want to say I'm just sending out love and positive energy to all of you. I need to ask you to do a couple favors. One is if you like what you hear, can you share? Tell some people about me. You know, I'm, I'm here to help you put you back in your life and I want to help others do the same. So if you could share this with your friends, I would love it. The last thing is if you can follow or subscribe, rate and review, that just allows me to put out more content for you. And that would help me out a lot. So thank you so much. And I have been talking for a while. You all have listened to a great show. Yes, I said it. Um, so I'm going to let you go because we'll be dropping a new episode next week on Tuesday. But until then, have a better day. Thanks for listening. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible. 
but I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.